What is it? It's your future. It's called a Stargate. Chevron 7 locked. Welcome to Walking Through the Stargate. I'm Brent. And I'm Zach. This is episode 136, and we'll be talking about Stargate SG-1's episode Morpheus. No, not Orpheus. We'll be talking about Orpheus No, this is important, Brent, because there actually is an SG-1 episode Morpheus. Did we already see it? No, it's later. Okay. (laughs) Good. (laughs) Hey, friends, what do you think I'm going to predict that episode is about? Uh, Anyway, we're an independent podcast. If you'd like to support the show, you could do that at patreon.com slash walking through the Stargate. We've got tiers. We've got privileges. And Zach's going to tell us about that in just a minute. One of the little privileges that you get is Patreon first audio content. Uh, Other side of the gate where Zach and David talk about spoilery things. Stargate second chances where based off your votes, Zach and I rewatch certain episodes and re-review them. Give them new Chevron ratings. Some Sometimes we make drastic changes. We also got Stargate Infinity. We lost a bet where we are now watching the animated non-canonical series episode by episode and giving in our thoughts and our reviews. We've got two episodes <laughs> of that up on Patreon right now. If you'd like to listen to that stuff right this hot second, you can go to patreon.com slash walking through the Stargate, sign up, and then you'll be able to get at that stuff. If you don't want to sign up on Patreon, have no fear, friends. All of our audio content hits the main feed at some point. Almost always when we want to take a break, um, it is very nice to have audio in the can ready to go so that the feed stays nice and active. You guys get some interesting things and interesting conversations. And Zach and I get to lean back and sip pina coladas, which we have. I've never done. I, I had pina coladas before, but I have never leaned back and enjoyed a pina colada. And I certainly haven't done so with that with Zach. I don't even know if you like pina. You probably don't. You probably hate you pina know, coladas. Uh, pina coladas are fine. Uh, yeah. I haven't really had one since. Um, so. I was in Mexico. I was 18. I yes. had no idea what alcohol was. Right. Really. So you get a pina colada. That's right. So I got a pina colada. That's what you do. It's like the, um, it's like a daiquiri. It's the same idea. Yeah. Daiquiris are better. Well, um, sure. I like coconut, so I like pina coladas. So, you know, it's fine. I also like walks in the rain. Well, that, that's good, too. <laughs> I appreciate that. I'm, I'm very glad that you have picked up on that. Uh, friends, if you want to have uh, some of your <laughs> friends listen to us babble on about pina coladas, you can tell those friends that they can find us on Google Play Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and my favorite, podcast aggregators, because the algorithm stinks. Um, and Zach, if a person wants to let us know and say, holy moly, you guys, it's almost like you talked with a world famous actor last night, got your acts together, and are coming across clean and precise, humorous, good-natured, and bang, right on. I mean, like, our timing right now is just flawless. And if they want to let me know about pina coladas, how might they let us know about that? Well, if you've got the best recipe for a pina colada and you just have to (laughs) share it with us, you can do that by emailing us at walkingthroughthestargate at gmail.com, which is W-A-L-K-I-N-G-T-H-R-O-G-H-T-H-E-S-T-R-G-A-T-E at gmail.com. Close enough. Got all of those letters in there. I think there was a in the middle, but you know what? <laughs> it works. It works. It works. <laughs> and as Brent just uh, uh, hinted at, we did in fact talk to a world famous actor yesterday, uh, and that actor was none other than Tony Amendola. So fun, uh, Master so Braytech himself. Yes. It was a lot of fun. Uh, and as soon as Brent gets that all edited together, yep. we'll get that on our feed there uh, is, for all y'all to listen to. 
there's a small chance that um, I will release this podcast before the interview because um, editing interviews is a lot harder than interview than editing our podcast. Um, but I intend to release the interview first, then this episode. So it's there's a decent chance that in your feeds you've already seen the interview with Tony Amendola pop in and listen to it even before listening to these words right now. But I'm just saying, if, if that's not true, so, then you'll know what's up. If you have already listened to Tony's uh, interview, great. We yes. love you. Yes. If you haven't yet because it hasn't been released or just haven't had time and all that stuff, we love you too. Yes. And it will come yes. if it hasn't come already. Yes. <laughs> all of these things are true. <laughs> <laughs> And you, and you were just praising us for good witty banter and all well, that no, stuff. Well, no, that was the intro. <laughs> ah. Now we're into the regular. <laughs> okay. You can also follow us on Twitter at Stargate Walking. Of course, you can go to Facebook and join the Facebook page and the Facebook group and all that. You can go to our, visit our website, WTTS.space. Space. And you can, of course, uh, join us on the Discords. Uh, the easiest way to get that link is to go to the website, which is yes. WTTS dot space. And you can uh, find us there and join us the conversation there. Yep. Uh, and of course, we've got Patreon um, and all that stuff. We have uh, finally gotten, you know, it's just been crazy for both of us, but we have got Children of the Gods scheduled now. Yes. So for second chances, we'll get that. <laughs> Uh, which is awesome. Hey, it's, um, it's monumental at this point. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you are hitting us. This is this is one of those times at the end of the year and the beginning of the year that uh, for both of us, our busyness just skyrockets, and then we kind of slowly start to get a moment here to breathe, and so we get that in there. Uh, we've got show notes for the other side of the gate. Um, so it's just a matter of David and me sitting down and figuring out when we can sit down and do that. Same song, second uh, verse. Yep. Understood. Exactly. Uh, and of course we've got a couple other, uh, episodes ready to go or prepared. Uh, they've got the votes for, uh, second chances. We just need to yes. get them out on the calendar. That's um, right. speaking of that, mm -hmm. uh, last night I sent out emails to our Patreon subscribers. Uh, we're trying something new this year. So, or this year, at least right now, um, it, you know, it, it's hard for me to send out individual emails to everybody. There's, there, we're getting to a number. It's just too much for me. Yeah. Uh, so I have created a form for you to fill out um, that uh, I sent out a bulk email to everyone. So if you did not get it uh, last night, then double check whatever email you use Patreon with and all of that stuff because that's where I sent it. Um, uh, and if you still are not having success finding it, let me know, check your spam folders, all of that stuff. If there's problems with the form, also let me know. Otherwise get those submitted to me as soon as possible and we'll get your votes tallied. Mm -hmm. So I think that's all the stuff I got to talk about for that. All the intro. We're done with the intro. I think we're done with the intro. Okay. Which, which then brings us to talk about this episode, Orpheus. Yeah. Are you ready? I am so ready to talk about Orpheus. I'm excited to hear what you have to say. The director for Orpheus is none other than Peter DeLuise. We heard Which his I, name last week. Yes, indeed. But I didn't notice his name in the title card. So that then begs the question, and maybe you'll get to it. Where was he? I don't know if he was actually in this episode. 
Mar- no. He well first. Martin Wood is in this episode. Oh, I did. Okay, good. I mean, Martin Wood and and Siler just kind of sneak past in the background, like when Carter and Daniel are looking at a computer screen. Oh, I see. Gate. Okay, okay, right. all right. So you saw that. Um, I don't. I don't know if uh, Peter DeLuise actually makes a cameo in this episode or not. Um, this is his second of seven directing credits this season. Mm-hmm. Uh, we of course heard his name last week when we talked about Ball Ants being yes. weak and frail. Yes, um, the weak and frail yeah. insects of Ball. Yes, it's which exactly. is obviously was the problem because this week he had to like do something about that, and that is make another mothership. Absolutely. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Now the teleplay for this episode of Orpheus is none other than Peter DeLuise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is his first of four writing credits this season. He, of course, does have one story credit, which was last week with Fragile Balance. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so that, uh, you know, he was just kind of like the guy for this episode. He directed it and did the teleplay and all of that stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. Um, yeah. So we've got several guest actors for this episode. Most of them are returning. We've got Tony mm-hmm. Amendola as Braytac. Yay. We've got Neil Dennis returning as Ryak. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is fun to see this kid grow up. Because it is. way back in season one, when we first saw him, he was just this little kid. Yep. And now he's a young adult. Yep. Um, and this is not the last time we'll see Ryak. So we'll okay. get to see more of him growing up on the show. Very good. cool. We have Obi and Defo, who plays Ragnar, mm-hmm. uh, returning. And, of course, we've got Gary Jones and Terrell Rothery as Harriman and Frazier, respectively. Mm-hmm. Now, we do add a new person to this episode, David Richmond Peck. Mm-hmm. He plays the Jaffa commander. Yeah. Now, uh, here is the IMDb mini biography written by Rep. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Pretty sure it's his rep. Probably. <laughs> but I figure if 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 rep is going to fill this out, I should be kind enough to read it. So here we sure, go. Sure, yes. Multiple award-winning film and stage actor David Richmond Peck is one of Canada's most visible and versatile actors. From the polygraph operator in The Day the Earth Stood Still in 2008, opposite Keanu Reeves, to his portrayal of Olivier Duval, the man with the tail, in the now cult BBC hit Orphan Black in 2013, he has made a career of transforming his appearance for the camera. Rumored to be nicknamed Canada's Philip Seymour Hoffman, he (laughs) continues to shift between the big and small screen in what amounts to over a hundred film and television credits. Nice. His work opposite Chris Cooper, Viola Davis, uh, Keanu Reeves, and countless seasoned directors has garnered Richmond Peck the reputation of being one of Canada's busiest performers. Mm-hmm. Born into a medical family and raised in Oakville, Ontario, Richmond Peck now lives in Toronto with his wife, award-winning actor Allison Down and their new son, Lucas. As he juggles time between work and family, he continues to be an avid kiteboarder and can be seen on the water anywhere between British Columbia, Ontario, or Hatteras, North Carolina. Oh, there you go. There you go. Uh, His first IMDB credit came in 2000, uh, and it was actually 
uh, in the same show from 2000-2002, so he was in three different episodes of the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, he played uh, in the episode Twins. Uh, I'm sorry. The, the TV is Mysterious Way. The TV series is Mysterious Ways. Mm-hmm. I didn't actually say that. I, I, get, I should just read my, my words. But <laughs> you got them written right there. Just, just read I know them. they're right there. Anyway, <laughs> the TV series is Mysterious Ways, and he was in three episodes from 2000 to 2002. In the episode Twins, he was a waiter. Mm-hmm. In the episode One of Us, he was an uncredited student. Ooh. And in the episode Listen, <laughs> he was student number one. Ooh! So he went from like being a freshman who hasn't even completed a course yet and doesn't have any credits to being valedictorian. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> you like that? <laughs> I, I, thank you. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, this episode originally aired on June 27, 2003. Mm-hmm. Number one on the charts in the U.S. was... This is the Night by Clay Aiken. Well, okay. Uh, it, not, not tomorrow, not nope. the other night. Nope. This. This one. This is the Night. And while this is the Night, in the UK, we're still listening to Bring Me to Life. And so this is the Night to Bring Me to Life. Oh, so we got a little Frankenstein's Monster action going uh, on. You know, absolutely. Uh huh. Uh-huh. And when you have Frankenstein's Monster, who are you going to call? Not the Ghostbusters. You're going to call Charlie's <laughs> Angels, who are going to oh. go full throttle on that. And then, and then they realize that this Frankenstein's Monster isn't actually Frankenstein's Monster. It's Banner's Monster because Uh-oh. Hulk is number two. <laughs> Nice. And Hulk is just angry because he's trying to find Nemo and he can't. Still, you don't understand that. He's still trying to find Nemo. Okay. I know. And then 28 days later, he realizes that he's just too fast and too furious to find him. Oh my goodness. Okay. Yes. Yes. That one was flawless. That was a flawless one. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All All right. Anyway, what happened on this day? Well. On June 27th, yes, the day this episode aired for the first time in both the U.S. and the U.K., the United States National Do Not Call Registry Registry was formed to combat unwanted telemarketing calls and is administered by the Federal Trade Commission and enrolls almost three-quarters of a million phone numbers on its first day. Day. I remember how exciting that was to suddenly not receive telemarketers calling me about my extended warranty on the car. That was so much yeah. fun. Yeah, and, and you know what? 20 so years later, we still have the same problems. Oh, boy. Yeah, but not that number that I enrolled back in 2003. Ah, well, <laughs> fair enough. I, I wasn't even in the country in 2003. You see, there you go. You had a real, you had one of those plus, plus something numbers. It was all, it was all crazy. Yeah. Uh, also on the 27th, the Glastonbury Fil- Festival in Pilton, England opens. Radiohead, Moby, and REM headline. Other performers include David Gray, mm-hmm. the Polyphonic Spree, mm-hmm. Jimmy Cliff, mm-hmm. Sugar Rose. Sigur Rose, uh, that's okay. Sigur, whatever. <laughs> I don't... You should know Los Lobos and Yes. Yeah. Oh, Yes. Yeah. Wait a minute. Yes was not a headliner? Uh, apparently not. That's interesting. And I wonder um, if it's like, you know, if it was really yes, yes. Probably no. 
I I don't know. I'm, yes I'm is just... a um, uh, prog rock band with like several different iterations, and they started in like the late sixties, um, and they went all the way through the eighties making albums, if I remember right. And so I, this is probably like a reunion or something, if I had to guess. So if it's just that, you can understand why that might not be a headliner. Yeah, but there's still whatever. Okay, fine. Anyway, you know what? I, I'm just reading the words. You're just reading the words that you've written. They're right here. Yeah. Uh, anyway, on June 28th, Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl, directed by Gore Verbinski, starring Johnny Depp, uh, Kieran Knightley, and Orlando Bloom, premieres at Disneyland. There you go. So, there you go. Pirates. Yar. Caribbean. And. Got to be the worst pirate I have ever seen. Sure. I mean, it's, it's probably true. No, he's actually the best pirate that he's ever seen. Uh, well, fair enough. <laughs> sorry sorry i totally killed i killed the flow i killed it. It, it you know what it's okay because i can keep going okay <laughs> i think i think i saw the same bullet point you did and i'm like uh-oh how is that gonna transition to this one <laughs> well i thought about making some sort of uh uh-huh. irreverent joke oh yeah thought, no 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 <laughs> On June 29th, uh, the famous actress uh, Catherine Hepburn uh, dies of natural causes at the age of 96. So making a, making a kill it joke going into that, nah, that was poor choices right there. <laughs> yeah. Whoops. <laughs> yeah. Oh well. Oh so. Well. Uh, Too soon. Uh, Too soon. Well, I mean, it was 20 years ago. That's kind of my point. Anyway, all right, but still. All right. Wonderful actress, extremely accomplished. My goodness, she was a treasure. Oh, yes. Yes, she was. Uh, we do have some trivia for this episode. Mm-hmm. Are you ready? Let's do it. Uh, the episode title is, of course, a reference to a Greek myth about a musician named Orpheus who mm-hmm. journeys into hell to rescue his lover Eurydice. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, apparently, according to Greek mythology, Orpheus was one of the greatest musicians and poets of his day. And his story, however, does not bode well for allusions to Teok's situation in this episode. Because when Orpheus goes down to the underworld to retrieve his dead wife, Eurydice, Hades, as the god of the underworld, grants mm-hmm. him permission to do so on the sole condition that he does not look back as he is bringing her to the surface. Mm-hmm. However, just before they arrived at the upper level, Orpheus looks back and he loses Eurydice because she slips back into the underworld. Yes. However, that does not happen in this episode. Uh, you know, if if Teal'c is the Orpheus character, he definitely does go into the underworld to get not his wife, but his son and his mentor and all of that. And after he gets his mojo back, he doesn't look back at all. And so he's like, Rah! I've got uh, uh, an alternate uh, explanation that just occurred to me just now, and I don't know if it fits very well. But what yeah. if Jackson is the Orpheus character where he looked Ooh. back while he was ascended? And lost it. Now, that doesn't fit the story very well because he was like, you know, we'll get into it when we get into it. But the gist is like a piece of this story is him being frustrated about what he could have done while ascended. But yeah, that's true. Maybe that's it. It's hard to say. It's hard to say. It's got layers. It's 
it's like tiramisu. You got your lady fingers and you got your cocoa and you got your rum. I was thinking ogres and onions. Ogres, ogres have layers. Onions. onions have layers. <laughs> oh, oh, please just keep going. Let's just just, just keep going. It's fine. <laughs> We're going to be fine. This is going to be good. All right. <clears throat> so now Carter criticizes a movie about aliens whose weakness is water in this episode. Mm-hmm. And, and she wonders why they would even bother with a planet that is two thirds water. And on the one third that's not water, it rains regularly. Mm-hmm. Uh, when so so here's the interesting thing. This is clearly a reference to the movie Signs by M yes. Night Shyamalan. Yeah. Uh, if you haven't seen that movie, and I just spoiled Spoiler. the ending for you, I don't feel bad because it's 20 years old now. Um, Whoops. I mean, <laughs> aside from her obvious stuff here, um, what she's saying, it, it's actually a pretty decent movie. It's not actually about the aliens at all. Um, they're just are part of the story. In any yes. case... Swing away, Meryl. What, what, what baffles me is that when you go to IMDb and look at this here, they're like, so Mar- Carter does all of this stuff and she's probably referencing a movie by M. Night Shyamalan, blah, 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 blah. And right. I'm like, probably? No, no, no. no she really is... The- what else could it be? No, we got to remember, like in the early 2000s, M. Night Shyamalan was the hottest director in Hollywood. Sure. I mean, so Fifth Sense was just explosively good. Um, Unbreakable was pretty good. Uh, Signs was very well loved. I thought it was good. I enjoyed uh, it. The Village was good. Uh, mostly good. Uh, people. Okay, so this is where people start to deviate. So I still thought it was good, but I think that the village was starting to get a bit of the deadpan thing. Then he did, I think he did Lady in the Water, and then um, uh, what's the one with Mark Wahlberg with the bees? Uh, I can't remember because that one was bad. <laughs> that one was bad. Um, but Lady in the Water was one where I thought it was actually pretty okay, but lots of people hated it. And then it just kind of puttered out. But like, yeah, I mean, it was a cultural reference. Everybody knew what she was talking about because everybody knew Swing Away Merrill and everybody knew that it was the water that did it. Yeah. Yep. Yep. All right. When Colonel O'Neill and the rest of the SG team members reach the labor camp, O'Neill asks an officer named Penall for his binoculars. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, like not they actually swap guns so that he has the, the scope and all that stuff. Right. Well, the, the, the name Penall is a reference to director Peter DeLuise's character from 21 J- Jump Street. Oh, okay. So. Maybe that was um, half his, like, like the, the quasi-cameo. There you go. Um, and the actor, Nicholas Barrick, who plays Penall in this episode, uh, previously played Lieutenant Jonathan Reed in the episode A Matter of Time. Mm. He was also the SF guard in Ergo mm. and part of SG-4, Soldier Number 2, in Metamorphosis. So mm. he's just mm. kind of been in the background for a lot of things. Yeah, I guess so. There you go. Um, I have a quote here from Joseph Malazzi and that I pulled from GateWorld and that he got it from his blog. So here mm-hmm. we go. Mm-hmm. Not to be confused with season 10's Morpheus. So we, oh. we got you know, we got some time. Okay. Orpheus is another Peter DeLuise extravaganza. 
You can always recognize Peter's episode because they always contained one of three things. Unas, Noble Jaffa, and or explosions. Bigger! Bigger! <laughs> Bigger! <laughs> um, nice. Uh, and then he goes on, loved Carter's review of signs in the gym scene. Other movies I would have liked to see review the on-screen re- other <laughs> movies I would have liked to see receive to see receive uh, okay the on-screen review treatment uh, okay anyway you want to try that again the, no I'm not I'm, all right, all right, gonna keep going time. all right I'm gonna try one more time okay loved Carter's review of signs in the gym scene mm-hmm. other movies I would have liked to see receive the on-screen review treatment. Mm-hmm. The Village, mm-hmm. Lady in the Water, and mm-hmm. The Happening. The Happening was the one I was trying to remember. Ah. So all three are M. Night Shyamalan films. And like I mentioned, they just kind of get worse. Yeah. 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 So uh, this episode, the title in other languages, in yes. Hungarian and in German and in Czech and Spanish and, in and Italian, okay. uh, they all have Orpheus. Okay. In whatever appropriate language is appropriate for them, mm-hmm. uh, in Italian it really is just Orpheus because that's how you Apparently say it. it. Yeah, that's it. Uh, now the French call it the Slaves of Erebus. The Slaves of Erebus. Oh, right. The name of the, the planet. That's right. Erebus that's is right. the name of the planet. Yep, yep, yep. <clears throat> yep. That's not. So, that's not that much of a giveaway. No, not too much. Nah, it's pretty good. But there you go. Now there you have it. Are you ready for the synopsis of Orpheus? Yeah, let's dig into this. All right, here we go. Another day at the SGC. Then the klaxons, <laughs> then the spinning of the gate, the running of the troops into the gate room, the sound of kawoosh, SG-1 radio, and we're under fire! We're, this is going to get ugly! The call is made, the iris opens, the staff blasts cut through the embarkation room. Troops are ready to shoot whatever comes through the gate. Except the friendlies. Don't shoot the friendlies. O'Neill, Carter, Daniel, rush through the gate. Teal'c is right behind them. Well, it... Okay, it's Teal'c, followed closely by the Jaffa warrior. Bullets, strayed staff blasts. The Jaffa is dead. The gate is closed, and Teal'c has a smoldering wound where his symbiote used to dwell. He collapses, and the medical team rushes in. Oh, no. Oh, no, indeed. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Sometime later, Teal'c awakens in the infirmary. Dr. Frazier is injecting tritonin into him. She tells him he's lucky to be alive. A lack of a symbiote actually saved his life this time. Tilk doesn't feel very lucky at this point in time, and Fraser's words ring hollow in his ears. He's got a long road to recovery, but Tilk being Tilk, recovery will come. In the briefing room, SG-1 briefs Hammond on their mission. It appears that Ball is gaining power and absorbing troops from the other system lords into his own empire. They are reaping the rewards of helping him to rise in power to rival Anubis, which was necessary at the time, but now it doesn't look so good. While they're discussing all this, Fraser enters and reports on Teal'c's condition. He's going to be okay, but right now he could use some company. Dr. Jackson visits and asks Teal'c about Ryak. You know, because it's probably a better conversation than, how are you feeling right now? Mm -hmm. 
I mean, you've just had a staff blast blow out your spinal cord. How you doing? How, how you doing there, buddy? It, it, my knee twinges just a little bit. I mean, yeah. Ooh. Anyway. some Advil. <laughs> anyway, Ryak is with Braytech recruiting Jaffa into the ranks of the Rebel Jaffa. Suddenly, Tilk's mood overwhelms him. He has let the team down. He fell behind the others and endangered the whole team. Now, Jackson retorts that Tilk was just covering their backsides, but it does no good. Tilk has lost something, and he asks the archaeologist to just leave him alone. Jackson does so, but as he's walking out the door, he hears a hint of Ryak's voice calling out in pain. Later, Jackson and Carter are working out in the gym. Carter rips apart the entire premise of the movie signs. Jackson <laughs> ponders his own life choices. You know, choices he doesn't even remember making. You know, choices about returning to the physical plane after spending a year as an ascended being. Did he make the choice? Was it forced on him? What's he supposed to do now? Who knows? I don't understand. Tilk is also in the gym with a physical therapist. He is slowly regaining the ability to walk, stumbling between the parallel bars. He's not happy with his progress. The PT calls his work good, and he can stop, but he continues to push himself further and further. Jackson and Carter encourage their friend not to push too hard, but Tilk refuses to listen and nearly collapses in the process. Tilk tells them to leave him alone. He is weak and a burden to the team. This is unacceptable to the Jaffa. Jackson again hears that tiny voice of Ryak calling out for Master. This voice troubles Daniel. There is something to this, something important. Carter helps him work through the various anomalies from any incoming and then outgoing wormholes. This weird feeling for him is focused in that way uh, for this formerly ascended being, but... He still has no idea what precisely he's looking for. Time passes, and Tilk's recovery is now complete. According to Dr. Frazier, Tilk is ready to return to active duty. Still, something weighs heavily on the Jaffa. He does not feel ready. Something is still wrong with him on the inside. Colonel Jack O'Neill decides to pay Tilk a visit, wondering what is wrong with him. Tilk doesn't answer. O'Neill presses him. Finally, it all pours out of the Jaffa. He is Keck. LOL. Death? Weakness. The word has both meanings, for if one is weak, one might as well be dead. Tritonin was once thought to be the answer to independence from the Guawuld, but without his symbiote, Tilk does not have that it factor that makes him feel like himself. He's slower, weaker. He's Keck. Tilk has lost his mojo. Jackson isn't thrilled with O'Neill's handling of the situation, but O'Neill reminds him that no amount of pep in his talk is going to actually make a difference if Tilk really has lost his confidence. Jackson isn't able to let things stand as is. He convinces Tilk to help him kill Noreen. Now, Tilk doesn't need to do that anymore now that he doesn't have a symbiote, but Jackson thinks it might be helpful. Surrounded by the most fired, fire hazardy fire hazard in the world, <laughs> the two men meditate. 
Jackson sees a vision of Braytek and Ryak being worked as slaves in some kind of labor camp. Ryak is whipped by Jaffa overlords. Braytek tries to stop them and ends up on the receiving end of a whip himself. Master! Master! Jackson reveals this vision to Tilk. Tilk believes him, revealing that while ascended, Jackson visited him when he was near death. You know, that whole moving the symbiote back and forth between him and Braytek. So, they go and talk to Hammond and the rest of SG-1. And they believe Daniel, much to Daniel's surprise. Hammond reminds them that this is no less crazy than half the stuff he's seen over the last seven years. <laughs> Unfortunately, they have no way of knowing precisely where this planet is that the Master and the Prentice Jaffa are being held. Tilk requests contacting Rachnor. Perhaps he'll be able to assist. Hammond agrees. Meanwhile, Ryak and Braytek are working as slave miners. They both hope that rescue is forthcoming. Ryak is feeling more dejected than Braytek, however. Braytek is becoming weaker each day. They are fearful for their lives. Only those who work hard enough will live. The Jaffa commander rounds up four slaves who have not been working hard enough or fast enough or any of that stuff and subsequently executes them for all to see. Rachnor is now at the SGC. They relay to him all that they know about the planet in question and Rachnor recognizes the place, Erebus, the place in Greek mythology where condemned souls pass when they die. Unfortunately, Erebus's Stargate is protected by a force field, much like the SGC's Iris. Rachnor goes on and tells them that the planet was recently taken by Ball, and he now uses the planet for Jaffa slaves to mine Naquita to build Hatak vessels. That is, until the toxic gases of the Naquita smelting process eventually kills them. Only the Jaffa can deal with that, so that's why it's only them that do that. This would be a great place to recruit Rebel Jaffa. So you can understand why Braytek and Ryak would go there. Unfortunately, it looks like they were captured in the attempt. Jackson returns to the depths of his pre-descended mind and remembers that he witnessed all this while ascended. Not only that, but he saw Braytek send the signal to drop the force field to the Alpha site before they were captured. He knew it was about a gate. It just wasn't the Earth gate. It was the Alpha Site gate. Ah! They search through the Alpha Site wormhole logs, and sure enough, they find the signal in question. Carter says she can recreate the signal, and Hope returns to the whole team. With this new information, they believe that a rescue attempt may now be possible. Let's go storm the castle! Have fun storming the castle. It's a proverbial castle. Because there's not actually a castle. There's just tents. To blave. Which means to bluff. Hoppadink, hoppadink, hoppadink. Hoppadink. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Carry on. Carry on. SG-1, SG-3, and Rachnor prepare to travel to Erebus. Before they depart, Teal'c informs O'Neill that he believes that he will be a liability on this mission. O'Neill disagrees. Tilk wants O'Neill to look after Ryak should he be killed, and O'Neill hopes only that it won't come to that. 
The SG team activates the Stargate. They send the code to deactivate the shield. They toss a shock grenade through the gate. The gate opens. The Jaffa train their staff weapons on the gate. The force field is deactivated. A shock grenade emerges, and they are all stunned after it goes off. The team comes through and secures the area. They then sneak onto the top of the hill that oversees the camp to get a better understanding of the layout. Tilk believes infiltration is the best option. He and Ragnar will sneak into the camp undetected during the night. Meanwhile, Braytek tells Ryak he will attempt to ration the Tritonin he has left. Though, in truth, this will be kind of hard to do since he has no Tritonin left to ration. It is hard to ration that which you do not have. True words have rarely been spoken. Mm-hmm. At night... Tilk and Ragnar sneak into the tents without detection, where Tilk reunites with his son. Oh, they see a dying Braytek lying in bed. Oh no! Tilk gives him some Tritona. Yay! Which helps. Ryak attempts to convince Tilk that he shouldn't just come to Erebus to rescue Ryak and Braytek, but that they should rescue all the slaves. Ragnar says there are too many, but Ryak says the slaves will fight for their freedom. Unfortunately, the conversation is cut short when O'Neill radios them and tells them to get out. They have Their position has been made. Both Ragnar and Tilk are caught. Oh, no. Tilk is then taken outside and restrained where he is repeatedly whipped by the Jaffa leader. Ryak can only sit inside the tent and listen to the screams of his father. O'Neill and SG-1 and, and the rest of the SG teams there can only watch from a distance. The next morning, Tilk has returned to the tent, where Braytek has improved his health, and Tilk tells the Jaffa that rescue is coming. He, however, is unable to fight because he says he is not the Jaffa he once was. If they are going to successfully rescue the Jaffa, O'Neill and his team need to create a distraction. Grenades? Bigger. Bigger. Claymores. Bigger! 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 Looking up, they realize that what he's thinking, they need a big distraction. That is, (laughs) disabling the anti-gravity platform that's holding up the half-built Hatak vessel in the sky, and that will be a big distraction. (laughs) Bigger! 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 Carter and Jackson ring aboard the ship and plant some C4 on one of the panels and sets the timer for five minutes. However, as they try to get out, they see six Jaffa guarding the ring room, and they are stuck. Oh no. Back at the tent, Braytek has recovered much of his strength. He notices Tilk's lack of confidence and tells him that the true strength of a Jaffa warrior is from his heart and mind, not his muscle. Perhaps Tilk's confidence is returning? Meanwhile, Ryak and Ragnar begin to spread the word to the slaves to prepare for the uprising. Unfortunately, the guards realize that Ryak is not in his place and drag him out to execute the young man. Tilk stumbles out of the tent and begs to take Ryak's place. The Jaffa commander agrees. He taunts the former first prime of Apophis, calling him a weak shulva. 
O'Neill is super duper concerned and presses Carter and Jackson to hurry up with their distraction. Assume we do not have 30 seconds. Okay. Finally, the C4 goes off. Boom! The anti-grav platform is disabled. The ship begins to fall from the sky. The big distraction distracts the Jaffa. The fight begins. Bullets, fists, staff blasts galore. Tilk uses the confusion to rush the Jaffa commander. The two formidable Jaffa battle single-handed. Well, well, they both use both hands. (laughs) An image of them putting one hand behind their back, both, and just swinging at each other. (laughs) Anyway, Tilk takes control of the fight and eventually snaps the neck of the commander. Now he has his mojo back. Yes. Tilk. Ragnar and Braytek are together in the midst of the battle. They pick up staff weapons, and as one, they fire at some oncoming Jaffa warriors. <laughs> Sometime later, SG-1 returns through the Stargate back to Earth, where they give the good news that the camp has been liberated. Hooray! And now the former slaves are being taken to the Alpha site, uh, the Alpha site keen to join the rebellion. Nice. Tilk decides that despite not needing to kill Noreem anymore, doing it helps him feel more like himself. While sitting there with Jackson among the candles, is this the moment when Brent will get his <gasps> wish and the two will kiss? <gasps> no. Oh. oh, sorry, Brent. That's not oh. going to happen here. Oh. Anyway, mm. they talk about their place in life. Both agree that for the first time, they feel that they are involved in something important. They belong in the SGC. The end. The end. So, Brent. Yeah. Orpheus. Yeah. What did you think? Holy cow, Zach. Holy cow. Holy cow. This was a great episode. This one was a lot. This was a lot of fun. There was a lot going on in this one. It it really held together. I was on the edge. I'm not kidding. Physically on the edge of my seat. Ooh. Physically on the edge of my seat. And um, trying to keep my eyes from watering up towards the end. Like, this was a really good episode. I <laughs> loved the... Man, we had like three, three or four story arcs that all just tied together really well in this one. I loved the story arc of the return of the mojo. Like... At the very beginning, I thought it was a little bit weird. I mean, not weird, 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 because we did get to understand the effects of Tritonin. And so that was a nice, good piece of meaty information for the universe. I like it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also get to know more about uh, the Jaffa and their sense of identity and understanding how their own sense of self is strongly dictated by whether or not this little snake in their belly gives them extra strength or not. Right. Like this is, yeah. this is good stuff. There's a lot in here. That's great. Um, I really, really liked Jackson's contemplation about what he did or didn't do while ascended. I liked the information and the world building that gave us some information that Jackson is fully human again and has no memory of his time as an ascended. That was something that I'm not sure was communicated or communicated well in the previous couple episodes. This was the first time that I was like, gotcha. Okay. Little bit of little bit of hand wavy plot action, but okay, fine. I'm willing to run. I'm willing to run with it. Jackson is now back as a mortal, basically. 
and has no memory of his time as being ascended. Okay. And wishes he could remember some. Okay. And as he's remembering a bit, it's helping with this story. That's good. So maybe we'll see more of him remembering things and la la la. That might be a doohickey or like a part of the, of the story overall. But to the point, we can't just assume that we can ask Daniel to remember something so that we can get a we can get a gimme on any one of our problems in this show, which is good. Right. I like it. That's a lot of fun. Uh, I, I really, I, I got to tell you, I liked the problem solving that happened about midway through the episode, even though it was really fast, like super duper fast. The, the memory of uh, Braytac and Ryak arriving and, and uh, taking out the initial guards that were right there, sending the signal or doing something. I can't remember the exact sequence, but you know what I'm saying? Like the, right, the, they right. arrive, they do a thing, they send the signal, they get captured and Jackson being like, that's it. it that's the signal. And them isolating the signal and Carter being like, yeah, it's just a bunch of squiggly lines, but you know what I can do with a bunch of squiggly lines? Make a freaking plot device. That's going to move this story forward. That's what I can do with a bunch of squiggly. That it was awesome. Awesome. It was awesome. It was so much. I liked it. And again, it was very, very brief. But it was just, it felt right, even if it, I don't know, it, on one hand, it did feel like Deus Ex Machina, but on the other hand, it was like totally believable. This is stuff that our character, these, our heroes can do now. Like, I get it. This is totally. And it's also was something that was built up throughout the episode, because even from the very beginning, when you hear uh, Daniel say, hey, this is, uh, you know, here's, here's Ryak's voice and all of that stuff. This is uh, building on that. So while yes. he doesn't have his memories from Ascended, he's got something there, and he can tap in that to some degree. Right. Um, and so some of that is happening there. Um, and so it makes sense. Uh, the only place that I would say it's particularly convenient is that they didn't actually change the code needed. That would have been a real shocker to the system. We if- are talking about Gould here. It is, <laughs> it is well established in this universe that they are not the brightest bulbs on the tree. Fair like, enough. We have, we have given, been given evidence over and over and over again that they're, they're daunting. I think that they're daunting for two reasons. Numbers and energy weapons. That's it. <laughs> Other than that, we got them under control. Um, oh man! But speaking, but uh, but you know what? Let me eat my own words here, real quick. This bad guy was a pretty darn good bad guy. Yes, he was. I, I, I and like, I mean, nothing on screen gave me like direct evidence that contradicts what I just got done saying about him and every other Gould. Like, well, no, he wasn't Gould. He was Jaffa. Um. Wait, was he? No, he, he was, was Jaffa. Jaffa. Yeah. Um, so, okay, maybe I stand by the Gould or a bunch of idiots. The Jaffa maybe aren't that much of idiots. But anyway, he was a really good bad guy. Like, it worked. He yeah. was He was menacing. He was uh, believable. He was, the, the, the character was cold hearted. Uh, exactly what needed for the run. For the for the for the runner of a concentration camp, like like this was this was right on the money. It was so much fun to watch him to, to and watch. He didn't the actor have much play. in the way of dialogue or no. lines, uh, no. you know. So just just in the power of you know the the lines, you know, if you don't work, you die. Yeah. These yeah. people didn't work hard enough. Yes, bang. Yes, um, you know, just and then that's the end. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so he didn't have a lot there, but. 
it was it was well done. I agree with that. It was extremely well. I thought it was brilliantly well done. Uh, the 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 only quibble that I had about that particular thing is that I I'm not I don't know how much I'm quite willing to buy the season one reputation of Teal'c being the dirty Shulva that is uh, easily bested by I mean like by now he has been associated with the death of six or seven gods. Like, I mean, like, like it, 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 his story at this point amongst the Jaffa and the Gould ought not be, Oh, look, here you are the weak Shulva. And it's, it's, it's kind of getting a little bit thin to me. Um, so I would take that in this case, uh, not in terms of his reputation, but in terms of what he is experiencing right now, because uh, in this particular camp, in this situation, uh, Teal'c was easily captured, easily beaten, oh, tossed okay. out. He has lost his mojo. Yeah. He he stumbles out of the tent and says, hey, kill me, not him. Yeah. You know, all of that um, by itself is the weak Shulva, uh, as opposed to... Um, look at his corpus of work you know maybe Fine. you used to be powerful but now you're just this weakling um that's how i took it that's a good read that's that's a good read when i saw it at the time i was thinking to myself um come on quit it already like you know yeah yes he was traitorous to a god now long dead um and so but i hear what you're saying like hundred percent. Like I can, I can, I can absolutely see that. Sure. And kind of bringing it back a little bit to the, the freaking rescue man. Like I, I was, I really, I really wanted our heroes to come in and roll over the top of them like a rising tide. That's what I wanted. I didn't get mm-hmm. it. Um, but the, the rescue as, as shown, the, the, I'm going to use the phrase, man, it was good. But I really mean is I was invested. I was entertained. I was worried, worried. I was, I I knew because it's TV, it's going to work, but I didn't know how it was going to work. Like that was still very much a mystery. Um, How is this actually going to resolve? And then it, and then as, as it's resolving, it was very, very good because it then brings me to some of the meta things that I really liked about this episode, which was basically said by Braytac about two thirds of the way through and then jokingly rebuffed by Teal'c, which is essentially when you have wisdom, you have power and right. it, it is manifest in a lot of different ways. And we call it by a lot of different names. We also call this experience we call this understanding of the situation we call it a lot of different things and the gist is there's a point where you become physically less than what you were yet still able to match or outperform what you used to be able to do and that's because you've learned you've learned where to put your effort and when it comes to hand-to-hand combat, I have absolutely no real-world experience to be able to understand what this actually means, not in real life, but there are plenty of examples where I'm able to recognize that by putting focus and effort on this spot of a problem right here, 
mm-hmm. it starts to domino effect and then the problem then ending it ends up getting resolved when i was younger i didn't know that i used to brute force an awful lot of stuff and then i have learned oh this moment isn't about that this moment is about this other thing over here let me put my effort in this other thing over here and aha uh-huh, click 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 everything starts lining into place and so i think i saw a visual manifestation of that concept in the form of the fighting because Tilk got his mojo back, but it was not because he was relying on his superhuman strength of which he still has, but maybe less of it and more of just grit. Like he, he just decided that today was a day he wasn't going to die. And this Yahoo was, and, and that's what it took and 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 he got there and then standing up beside his master braytech and his good friend uh, Rocknor Rocknor Rag- almost I was almost there Rocknor um <laughs> lower their staff weapons and fire as well that scene was great like, yeah. <laughs> that was only half a second on the TV and I loved every bit of it oh so much fun so much fun the the one thing also, not one thing, I guess this is the other thing that I have a quibble with. Even though it was the main thrust, it seems like it was the main thrust of the story because it was the last thing that we see and hear. It's this notion that somehow Daniel still hadn't yet felt like a member of the group somehow. And how this particular... um how this particular moment told Teal'c that he is still a member, even though he doesn't have as much superhuman strength. And somehow this moment told Daniel that he really is a part of the SG team. The team's the plural, but SG one in particular, uh, that he really does belong in the SGC and that they're doing good here. I felt like they felt that they were part of this thing way earlier than this moment. And so, so that uh, let, felt let me, a little let bit me respond to that in my own sure. self. Um, you and I both know that one of my things is that I have uh, some imposter syndrome in me. Yes, uh, we all do. But that's we okay. all do. But uh, you know, um, and you know, there have been many times in my life. Like I remember distinctly back. This is twenty years ago now. I was. Uh, in Japan, and I was talking to one of my mentors. I'm like, I feel like I'm always on the outside looking into every situation. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you know, Zach, nobody sees you on the outside looking in. Everybody mm-hmm. sees you in the middle of things, and they like it that way, right? They yeah. like you in the middle. So, you know, um, and, and there have been times when, you know, you know, I'm at a point now where where I have grown in wisdom and and you know whatever else uh, that I, those feelings of inadequacy are significantly reduced yes. now than what they really were they were in the past and for a long long time even after that event back 20 years ago I have felt in various situations that I was just faking it or that you know it's just a matter of time when my friends are going to say Zach you're really just a dork and dumb <laughs> and and we've been you know uh um placating nice you for all of this time <laughs> and and now we're sick of it right these are things that go through my head yes 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 <laughs> um and and 
there, there's a this is what makes imposter syndrome so insidious is that on some level there is no amount of external uh, stimuli, external evidence uh, that can be spoken that will change that. Oh yeah, totally. Right? Because it doesn't matter that my friends routinely come to me and says, Zach, what do you think about this? It doesn't matter that like, hey, we love you and we're so excited to see you again. And, you know, we think that you are awesome at this or that and the other things, you know, all of that stuff gets filtered into and then it gets stuck in that part of my brain that says... Uh, yeah, they're just playing with sure. me. Sure, right, right, right. Right, um, and you know, I have uh, grown in my own self confidence and my own self understanding that that happens less and less now than it did in the past. Yeah, uh, even five years ago. Yeah, um, yeah. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't come back again i i I get it i get it and one thing that just occurred to me just now is that the character of daniel jackson at this point what do you think late 30s yeah i think late 30s um and while in my own personal experience uh mid 30s to late 30s was when things really kind of started to coalesce um, and there might be some external circumstance about how the past few years have really helped hone my self-confidence, particularly the last 24 months, because lots of external events have given me impetus to really examine what I care about and make some choices about what I really care about and <laughs> sure. feel confident that the choices I've made are pretty good ones. And these other externalities that are trying to vie for my attention and are demanding that I pay attention to them are full of it. And I can go, yeah, you're full of it. Um, that feels pretty good. Uh, but uh, the, you know, that, that late thirties self, um, yeah, I can believe it. I can believe it now where, yeah, sure, sure, sure. I, I stand by the statement where I observed what I thought was evidence that these two individuals felt part of the SG1 team far earlier than this particular moment. However, yeah, you're right. It does stand to reason that this might be the moment where they actually feel it as true themselves inside. Well, and there's nothing that says that those feelings won't return. Um, yes. I mean, keep, my, keep looking at Jackson himself. Uh, you you know, I mean, we see this way back in the movie. This is a guy who doesn't feel like he's quite on the inside of anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not until he experiences finally his time with Sharae um, on Abydos that he begins to start feeling like he's part of something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but still, there's something missing. And then he starts getting involved in the SGC, and still something is missing. Uh, he's trying to do good here and there, and still mm. something's missing. He gets yeah. he he saves an entire planet by breaking through a a barrier and pulling the nuclear warhead apart yeah. before it explodes. Yeah. And still, he doesn't feel like he is contemplate able to do anything. And then he ascends, and he's thinking, "Oh, okay, I have ascended to a higher plane of being. I have shucked off that mortal coil." And I am something more, something yeah. bigger, something better. And clearly what we're seeing, and we saw this even last season when we, when we saw him ascended, there were times where even then he was like, uh, you know, he thought that, that ascending would solve the problem and it yeah. didn't solve the problem. Yeah. And, and now he has descended 
and he remembers his human life, but he doesn't remember his ascended life, and he's dealing with all of these things. Uh, it, I think this yeah. is why I like the Daniel character so much, uh, because yeah. I see the the internal struggle of self-identity uh, that I've dealt with my entire life in this character. Um, and, and that's what draws me to him so much. I, yeah. And I, I, I think we also, in my opinion, I think we saw, um, all right, sorry. I don't think we saw it. It was, it was plain as day. Uh, the teal character is also given another gear in this episode. Yes. Um, it's, it's done in a world building way. We now have some evidence that Tritonin isn't quite as awesome as having a symbiote in your pouch. Um, Better than nothing, that's for sure. Keeps you alive. And even without it, you're still a Hulk, but you're not quite as hulky as you were before, and you don't heal as fast. I, these are very important plot points. Um, it it takes the Superman aspect uh, away a little bit, even though, interesting to me, I never felt like they were over-reliant on Teal's Superman-iness. Like, it never really was obvious that he was Superman at all. Right. Uh, it was evident. It happened, but it wasn't like a thing. It wasn't a trope. They didn't solve problems by having him Hulk open things. Like, you know, it, it was just... Anyway. Um, Teal'c is getting a lot more interesting. Teal'c was already kind of interesting, but now we're getting into even more interesting things. They're, they're, they're doing a lot of character development. I... Rem- I, I, I still... That... that um, uh, bringing it back to that season-long promo that we watched at the uh, at our season six um, review, mm-hmm. uh, that half second of uh, Amanda tapping, yelling at a handheld camera to shut that thing off, like seared itself in my mind. Ah. And I'm wondering if this is the season where I get to enjoy a lot of character development, or you know we. You know, we spent we, we we spent a couple of seasons kind of getting the thing up to up to speed. We spent a few seasons enjoying that speed, and things are coasting. You know, there's definitely some developments, but it's not really about the about the development of the character. It's about creating compelling story, and it's episodic. And you're kind of co- and you're and you're scooting along. Then you get some then you get some disruption, and you're not sure if you're going to keep going. So you don't want to really open up too many cans of worms. But you know, like. And it just kind of, I'm wondering if this is a season where I get to see a lot of character growth and that even if it's not explicit, even if it's just um, letting the characters be a bit more human or human-like and talking about that humanity and, and, and uh, I was about to use the word wrestling, but I'm going to completely flip that idea on its head, like a wrestling move and actually hugging that humanity, like mm. embracing it. It is a piece of who you are. It is not something to fight against. It is something to work with. And how does that then look? And so we're, I'm wondering if we're going to be enjoying pieces of story that are humanizing these characters even more. And you run a fine line when you're trying to humanize a hero. The definition of a hero is that super weirdly good things happen to them. That's why they're heroes. And that ends up creating distance between you and the hero. But well-told stories make you feel like you can hitch your wagon to that hero. Right. Um, th- they will do things that you will never do, but yet you still feel a sense of ownership in their accomplishments. And therefore, you're like, yes, you go punch that giant in the face and knock it down. Like, um, because we can't punch giants in the face and knock them down. Um, we want allies who can. So 
bringing our heroes back into the human sphere has a bit of a double-edged sword, though, because it it, it, it weakens them, just like Tilk was weakened in this episode. Um, but the 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 joy of doing that with your characters is that you now feel even more connected. They were an ally that were at arm's distance and you would never be able to do what they can do. But boy, was it fun to watch them punch people in the face. But when they get more human, you get more attached and yeah. the joy and uh, the, the, uh, the emotional joy that you get from that connection is remarkable. It's, it's why we tell stories the way we do. It's why we form connections the way we do. It's great. And I'm seeing evidence of it right now. I'm wondering if I'm going to see more of it in this season. It's great. This is super fun. <laughs> so you can't I, I tell wanna... because we don't do video, but I'm just gesticulating wildly right now. <laughs> yeah, I, I have been gesticulating wildly as well. Uh, I do want to point out that, yes. um, speaking of gesticulating, my hands are just going all over the place. <laughs> uh, speaking of... Uh, of you know, just backing up a little bit. Uh, you talked about uh, making Teal'c weaker. Um, yeah. While Teal'c may be slightly less strong in terms of physical brutality, uh, like by brutality I mean like brute force and yeah. and just power. There, um, I contend that when this episode is over, he is in fact now stronger than he was before. Oh, 100%. When I kept talking about strength, I was really focusing. I should have been a little bit more explicit. I was meaning physical strength. Sure. Period. He as I, don't a, think, I think we were on the same wavelength. I just wanted to yeah, oh, yeah. clarify he, that. He as a force of nature, 100%, totally got stronger. Totally got stronger. And that was what Braytech was saying. It's like, it doesn't come from your muscles, you dum-dum. It comes from <laughs> your mind and your heart. And if you can, if you can harness that... Your power increases exponentially. This is why it was resonating. It's part of the reason I'm even I'm even misting up right now thinking about this. Um, part of the reason why I was getting misty eyed in the episode was because I'm at a place in life where I'm starting to get that. I'm understanding that idea. Like my power is in things that have nothing to do with the muscles in my arms. Like, and you could have told me that before, and I've been like, yes, of course. But I'm like, I'm starting to appreciate it. And so there's nothing quite like realizing that uh, your brain is trying to write checks that your body can't cash. Yeah. Uh, you know, when when you start when that starts happening, and yeah, that's happening to me now too, uh, much more than it ever did when I was like in my mid twenties, and even sure. frankly mid thirties. Um, but, but yeah, and but I, I feel also that I in in many cases I am. I am a more full human. That's right. Than I was ten or twenty years ago. You have you have been contemplative. You have reflected. You have learned. You have grown. You have become empowered, yeah. and that is why empowerment matters. So when you hear people talking about empowerment, this is what they're talking about. It is something that a lot of us are able to take for granted. Several of us cannot, and it is a feeling that is unequal it is unequaled to feel empowered in your own destiny yeah and that's why it matters so we're seeing teal becoming empowered he had been empowered in one way and then he had it stripped away he was keeping it a secret he was trying to just 
Just muscle through, right? That was how he solved problems. Muscle through it. I just hope my strength returns. La, la, la. And then the lesson in here is your strength comes from your mind and your heart. And he takes that and he understands it. And then it is manifested once again through his massive biceps. Like, it's true. It, it returned to his muscles for a minute and he totally snapped that guy's neck and it was great. But like <laughs> the lesson here is the empowerment is so much more than what you think it is at this particular point. Like, well, yeah, so- anyway. Physically, there was nothing that changed from the beginning of the episode to the end of the episode in terms of Teal'c's muscles. Correct. Teal'c's muscles had the strength to go clink and snap that guy's neck. Nothing changed in his muscles between those two moments. Yes. But what changed is something mental that allowed him to realize that, wait a second, my self-worth is not built on the physicality that I have. It's built on something else. And then all of a sudden, the floodgates were open and he was able to use what he had effectively in whatever situation was in front of him. Yep. You said earlier, uh, embracing your humanity, and Mm -hmm. and I really thank you for it. I thank thank you very much. That just that that was great. That idea of uh, the the irony is empowerment comes in part when we embrace our humanity, which includes, and sometimes especially includes, yeah, our. Uh, at least perceived weaknesses and sometimes yep. are actual weaknesses. Yep. Only when we become whole. Now I'm preaching. I'm preaching. But only when we become whole uh, do do we start to see uh, that growth and that explosion of selfhood, selfness. Uh, and, and yeah, at the risk. Yeah, I'll stand on the soapbox for a minute too. But I mean, this is why this concept is. Uh, uh, this concept is a driving force to my own personal ethos. This concept, this concept of empowering that uh, empowerment uh, results. If every single human on the planet felt empowered, there'd be toughness, there'd be struggle, there would be conflict. Uh, we intrinsically think that we are in a zero sum game and it is zero sum game. And if I empower you, I weaken myself, and I think that's a bunch of hogwash because while it is true that the weaker voice suddenly can sit at the table and start demanding some things, and we aren't used to that, what happens when all of us feel empowered is that we all feel much more calmly confident, and we feel like we can listen and understand. Now, the reason why I am such a big jerky face when it comes to talking about empowerment of those who feel disempowered is because the 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 work that it takes to break away the calcification of our own ideas is sometimes really jarring it and sometimes it hurts like it, it takes a lot and if a person is comfortable why on earth would they want to jar that why would they want to break that up they wouldn't People who are comfortable want to stay comfortable. This is the, the the notion of being a person. No one wants that. But the work to do it is needed and it doesn't feel good. But when you do it and you start understanding how other people need to be included and feel empowered, th- things just start make they just start getting better and better. And 
better and better in a very grand sense, not like a specific sense. Like it, it actually creates more, more, more discomfort and more, more struggle in the short term, no doubt. But the, the, the solidity, like the, the thoroughly wholesome consequence of what happens when so many or all of us feel empowered, we are able to build things together that stand the test of time that become much better than ourselves individually. That just, that just are just good to the core. And that excites me. Obviously, I don't know. I'm not sure if I've been quite so animated on a philosophical topic on this podcast as I am right now, but I saw a show that talked about that in a way that was believable, in a way that was relatable. And it wasn't quite so preachy. wasn't as preachy as what I was just doing right now. And it, But the lesson was still there. And man, I love that lesson. I love it so much. And one of the things uh, that seems to be true with humans, and we see this in this episode, um, and we see this in what you had just said there, is that there, there is a crucible that we must go through. Mm-hmm. And it is a crucible that is not uh, pleasant, right? Um, and and it's not as simple as a concentration camp, uh, though it could be. Yeah. Um, and it's not as simple as as a life threatening injury, though it can be. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is something. You know, and I have to be, I want to be careful here because I don't want to just say, well, we all need to have our crucible. We all need to suffer so that we can be better. Um, right. You know, that that's not the point of what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Uh, but but when, like as you were talking about, when, when we open ourselves to empower others um, and when we strive to be empowered ourselves, uh, there is a discomfort that comes Mm-hmm. We are upsetting the fruit basket. Uh, yeah. there, there is uh, affliction going on, and it's not going to be comfortable. Um, but uh, if we have the courage to move through that discomfort, uh, it, I think it's safe to say that, that we will find something on the other side. Um, you know what's just occurring to me? I'm confident other people have said this before, and I and I may have heard it myself, but it's just occurring to me just now. Friends, discomfort is not a sign that things are wrong. I think that we collectively have assumed that if I'm uncomfortable, something's not correct. Something's not right. Mm. Not a given. That's not a given. Uh, I'm confident there are examples that we can think of where that is exactly true, that discomfort is the sign of something wrong, but it's not necessarily a one for one, folks. And yeah. I know we all know this, like we all know this, we know it, but it's it's one thing to know it and it's another thing to actually understand it. And I tell you what, Zach, I think that brings us full circle right back to the power of wisdom. Yeah. There are some times that you just can't know it until you've done it. And some people do the thing earlier than others, sure. Some people never do it at all, but the doing is just experience. It just happens. Yeah. You get in the mix long enough and all of a sudden you just start getting it. And it's obnoxious whenever people who are older or whatever are like, well, when you're my age, you'll get it. It's like, yeah, shut up, you old person. But <laughs> like, I mean, they're not wrong. <laughs> I think that the best thing that could be said for that annoying piece of advice is that all of us are going to get there at different points, right? 
and some of us sooner than others. And some of us have different experiences and some of us are much wiser than our age because we've been through some stuff, man. And (laughs) like, anyway, okay. Now I'm starting to trip. The, the, the phrase hurt does not equal harm. Hmm. Uh, pops into my head. I mm-hmm. was listening to some guy talking about physical therapy and all of that stuff, and you know that that was his big phrase that hurt does not equal harm. Um, you know, it, it may hurt when you and and those who've dealt that with physical therapy issues and and coming back from an injury or something. Um, I've been told I, I haven't had any type of severe injury that requires a lot of rehab. Mm-hmm. I guess I'm thankful for that. Uh, but from what you know, like it hurts. Yep. To to go through surgery, it hurts to do the rehab and such. But that hurt is not harming. Right. Now there are hurts that are harming. Yes. And this is where the wisdom comes in because mm-hmm. we need to be able to be wise enough to know, um, you know, the hurt that Teal has to go through to get his mojo back is not harming him. The hurt that that uh, uh, the Jaffa commander was inflicting upon the slaves is an example of harm. Yes. Yes. Um, and holy smokes, those are right next to each other. And it's really hard sometimes to tell the difference. This is an episode right. that, that uh, highlights some of that uh, without being preachy like we have for the last 20 minutes. <laughs> and I'm going to preach for just... Two more, just because it's it's kind of coming to me in waves as we're talking about this thing. Um, I, I'm not like shy about talking about some political stuff on our episodes, but I I definitely try to keep it. Um, uh, how best to say it? I, I feel very strongly about certain things, and I'm going to be honest about what I feel very strongly about. But I don't feel so strongly about all the talking points on a particular. Uh, political spectrum that I'm willing to just be beaten down the door on it all the time. This is one of those moments where, in my opinion, folks, we hear a lot of things that are labeled as progressive uh, in politics, leftist, uh, where they're talking points and a criticism I have of folks that are leftist and progressive is that there is an, an aspect of ego that is associated with using the terms. And so as a result, the terms start to lose power. People say the words because it's the right thing to say. And they say the words because it gives them clout within their circles. And they believe the words, but in using the words, they end up losing the power. One of those phrases is leaning into discomfort. Leaning into it is something that was being overused. And it is it's still used. And people who are very strongly aligned with uh, with progressive politics are absolutely meaning every single bit of those words for sure, but it gets overused. And I thought, I think this is an example of where it kind of loses its, where it loses its efficacy. Um, but what, this is what we were literally just talking about just a second ago. And I think I see that concept lean into discomfort in a lot of different things that span way more than progressive politics. But when you hear a friend Talk if you if you have a friend who is a progressive friend and they say those words lean into discomfort. I'm I'm willing to bet you a beer that they are trying to use it in a way that's going to make you feel not that great. But what the concept is is hang on, 
Zach just said it. Hurt is not harm. Go ahead and lean into it a minute. No one likes to be discomforted. Like being comfortable is nice. We like it. But boy, the growth that comes from contemplating and wrestling with this stuff. I use the word wrestle again. Let me just go back to embrace. The 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 good that comes from embracing it is immeasurable. It's it's so fulfilling. And as I mentioned before, like the good that comes out of it, I use the word wholesome, I'll use it again. Like and I mean it in every single ounce of that word. It is wholesome. Like we do so well together with that wholesome idea. Anyway, okay. All right. <laughs> Thanks, Zach. Thank you for letting me do that. Absolutely. <clears throat> I appreciate that. You know, um, I, I had some thoughts coming in uh, because you, we have been swimming around this pool using um, non-religious language. Yeah. Um, and that's been great. It's been awesome. Um, you can do the same thing with a whole bunch of religious language as well. Yes, um, you can. Uh, whether that is whatever religion, yes, uh, that's you right. Fit into, um, <laughs> yep. You know, <laughs> I'm most familiar with the there. Christian language, so mm-hmm. I could go. You know, but we, we've we've gone too long. Um, but all of this is is to say that that uh, you know, on some level, this is a trope. We're all in this together. Yeah. But uh, you know, we can. Yeah, I'm gonna be done. It, it, that, that's another <laughs> phrase that has lost its power because we overused it and we used it in ways that actually hurt than har- like th- hurt that hurts. The hurts uh, hurt hurts. that harms. Yeah, that harms. Hurt, yeah. Uh, you know, but but we really are. I, I think that's the lesson, and that we wish you know that's the wisdom. There's another piece of the wisdom. Like you're not you're not a single thing doing your thing. Like we're all there's 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 impact. There's influence. Like you know, it it, it it's real. Bringing it back to empowerment. Okay, I'm seriously going to stop because okay. we're going to keep so, going forever. So I, I want, uh, I'm, let me shift gears for real. Yes. Okay, so in the scene, th- I probably could have put this in the trivia and I forgot. But in the scene where uh, the Jaffa commander shoots those four uh, so- slaves, yes. right? Yes. And then mm-hmm. one of them gets uh, scared and he starts bolting. Sure. Right? Um, and then, of course, he gets shot in the back. Mm-hmm. Well... Uh, that was a stunt guy who did that. Yes. And if you look carefully, you can see that in his right hand, it's fist. he's got a fist on it, and he's actually got the switch for the trigger that oh. that uh, ignites the explosion yeah. that was on his back. Yeah. Um, and he does a great job because it's fast, and you, you know, unless you look at it carefully and kind of process that carefully uh you you wouldn't ever notice it but yeah but if you look carefully you can watch him as he's like oh you can see oh that's where he hits the button and the explosion and he comes and he falls down and his left hand is just kind of open flat and his right hand is fisted hiding that uh that switch yep um which is just um you know i say kudos to that because it was done very well it's a it's a yes. great way of of having that done um but it's kind of cool super cool this episode was full of cool stuff it was it was okay brent you never really quite said zach what do you think but oh I, no I, I never did did i <laughs> <laughs> hey zach what do you think about this episode <laughs> well let me rewind the tape a little bit here uh-huh <laughs> so um, I, I think we're sufficiently at a point. I will say this, 
that uh, thank you, Brent, for bringing your fresh eyes to this. This is an episode that I have always enjoyed, mm-hmm. but on future watchings, um, it's kind of been, oh yeah, this is the episode where we explore Teal'c loses his mojo and has to get his mojo yeah. back. Sure. Um, uh, and, and so seeing this again through your eyes helps to rem- has helped me to remember uh you know the the excitement of this episode and that all of these different pieces work together yeah uh, and it yeah. worked well so thank you very much for that you're welcome with all of that <laughs> <laughs> how this many chevrons are you going to give oh. orpheus i mean come on come on Come on, friends. We know. It's not eight. It's not eight. Um, but uh, there was, uh, I really did like this one. And I was kind of going back with Torf between six and seven because um, there was the, the pieces that I said were kind of like, you know, like quit it with the quit it with the Shulva thing. And also, really, y'all didn't feel included until just now. This conversation absolutely just cemented right over. The, we're good. We're good. This is a seven. This was a lot of fun. Uh, it was tense in the right way. It resolved in a great way. It got me thinking about questions that I love to think about. I ended up having a profoundly good conversation about all the stuff that I love to think about. So much so that I didn't even ex- ask Zach what he thought. This is a <laughs> seven out of seven for me. I love this one. What about you? Okay. So if I were to give our conversation a ranking, it would easily oh, yeah. be a seven without any... <laughs> You know, without anything, seven. Um, I am going to be just a little bit uh, less giddy on this sure. whole thing. Fine. Uh, and go with a six. That's fine. Um, and I think uh, I'll justify that because I, I want to try. Uh, in just that, sure. that sense that, uh, that uh, you know, over time, this has lost some punch, or you know, for me. Sure. Um, but at the same time, uh, listening to you talk about it and and uh, and all that stuff has reminded me that that punch actually is still there. So uh, even though it's not as exciting as the first time you tasted that punch, it's still yeah. really good. Um, you know. So I'll give it a six. Nice. Yeah, and uh, good use of the the punch punch. Oh, uh, there you go. I learned that punch the drink is Sanskrit. I oh, had no really? idea about that. Yeah, there's all sorts of things you end up learning. Uh, are we going to go to what people thought we thought about with what we think? Yes. Thinkings? Yes. I, I'm going to go to Twitter's. Okay. I am heading to uh, the Facebooks. All right. Well, you're going to the Facebooks. I see I got a reply here. And uh, friends, I'll give you a, I'll give you what? No, do, you know, Zach, you don't need to reply. But everybody else, you got to speak towards your uh, your audio device. Who do you think wrote in on Twitter? That's right, it's Kevin. And what do you think? Oh, wait a minute. He actually did predict something? Wait a minute. What? <laughs> so we got Kevin. Hi, Kevin. Hi, Kevin. <laughs> we got, hi, Brent. Hi, Zach. I predict, oh, I see. I predict a total, <laughs> I predict a total of 11 chevrons. So he's doing a, he's doing a sum for the two of us. Ah, Yes, we did. We had more than that. I predict a total of 11 chevrons, but we'll give a more detailed breakdown on Facebook because Twitter is dumb. It's not and doesn't let. Well, I mean, it is. And it doesn't give let me. It doesn't let me give a detailed breakdown of all my thoughts and dreams about an episode. I mean, that's why I like it. Brief. Well, very brief. But thank you, Kevin. Thank you. Kevin. Thank you for that. 
Well, speaking of Kevin, let's see what Kevin's... We'll start with his responses on Facebook. All right, let's do it. All right, he says, Hi, Zach. Hi, Brent. This episode is one I've been looking forward to. I'm usually not a fan of the Jaffa-centered episodes, past and future, but I've always enjoyed this one. Tilk has to come to terms that he isn't the same since he started Tertonin, but gets to learn that his strength was inside him all along. Daniel, who was pumping some serious iron on the gym, yes, realizes he was. that his memories from his time ascended may not be totally gone. We learn that Tilk must have an enormous candle budget. And <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> and of course, the most important part of this episode, Sam didn't like the movie Signs. Yes. Wait, I mean, Braytech and Ryak have been rescued and the Free Jaffa movement has gained lots of new followers. And they were able to stop the production of another hot talk vessel for Ball. Yeah, this is a big deal. Yeah. I am going to predict a six from Zach. Yes, right on the money. And a five from Brent because it bothered him that Colonel O'Neill knew that the this planet had never been on before. Uh, it bothered him that Colonel O'Neill knew that this planet he had never been on before would be dark in an hour. Oh, you know what? I did wonder about I. So, I mean, that's a fair retort. I just took it that they had good reconnaissance. So here's what here's what I would say is that um, you walk onto a planet, and so we know a couple of things about the the gates have been typically placed on planets that are close to Earth gravity. They have very earthy types. They have very earthy types, uh, which means that they fit into a pretty solid range in terms of size. At least density. At least density. Um, but that also then means that even if you haven't been on the planet before, if you know something about how rotations work, yep. you can be, uh, you know, you can get, you know, you can be close, even if you've and never been there before. Before all you extra sciencey nerds go really ballistic on this one, actually not ballistic, uh, much more astrophysical. Uh, you can retort real fast of like, well, wait a minute. It is possible for a sphere that has much less um, radius with the same density. So it has one G to exist and its rotation would be significantly faster than the Earth. And you're correct. But here's the other thing that you got to keep in mind that if you're going to take it as rote that the life on that particular planet came from, I don't know, that planet, the composition of the planet and the ratios of the composition of the planet also have to be pretty close to earth. And when you take that into account, then your densities are going to be much more in line with earth. You're going to have an earth like planet. There we go. There you go. All right. We, uh, continue with Rowan. Hi Rowan. Oh no. Teal has an ouchie. It's really getting <laughs> to him, one. but shockingly he doesn't want to talk about it. <laughs> I'm just imagining the shopping trip where Teal'c bought out the entire candle section at Bed Bath & Beyond. <laughs> I've, got a, I've got a fan theory about that one, too, but I'll let you go. All right. Meanwhile, Ryak and Braytech have been in peril for months, and Braytech's not looking so good. But apparently yeah. there's no system of regular check-ins between the Jaffa Rebellion and the SGC. Good thing Daniel is having spotty recall of his time as an ascended being, or the team would never know what happened to them. Is this a good time to mention that Tony Amendola is more than a year younger than Richard Dean Anderson? Huh. <laughs> I did not know that. I, all right. 
they continue. This is a utilitarian episode that serves to advance the main plot arc of the show, but is pretty forgettable. Brett will oh, give it a four if he's feeling generous. Nah. Nah. Zach will give it a three and a half. <laughs> this episode has been rated 7.5 on IMDb, which is a four on my IMDb to show. Really? Scale, putting it in the bottom half of Stargate <gasps> episodes overall. All right. Well, like, the world's wrong. I'm right. <laughs> It's just all there is to it. <laughs> all right. So uh, next we have Chris. Hi, Chris. And I believe this is Chris's first uh, email or first message for us. They're awesome. Welcome, so, Chris. Welcome, Chris. Uh, it looks like the cast has started to settle down now that the season is back into the swing of things. Mm-hmm. I think Brent will like the continuity of Daniel be- dealing with lingering memories from being mm-hmm. ascended plus the further character development of the fallout that can happen of a Jaffa now being dependent on Tritonin. Mm-hmm. Even if the subject is someone as strong of will as Teal'c. Sixes all around. Keep up the good work, gentlemen. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank and you very, very much. close. Very close. Very close. Uh, Kimberly. Hi, Kimberly. Kimberly predicts fives from both of us. Nope. But that's nope. okay. All right. <laughs> It's the episode of the apostrophes. I mean, I oh, mean yeah. the Jaffa. Lots yeah, yeah, no, of world building and setup. Good, solid story. I have no idea why this episode is called Orpheus, but perhaps Brent and Zach are wiser than I. Mm. No predictions as to the contents of Brent's breakfast today. I had a plain bagel with plain cream cheese. There you go. Maybe I had a I cliff a bar for breakfast, if anybody wants to know. That's why you gave it a six. There if, you you had, if you had an everything bagel with uh, butter, that's your favorite, right? Sure. Uh, then uh, you'd give it an eight. Ah, well, there you go. <laughs> uh, I did have orange juice and coffee, too. Well, I, mean, I had coffee as well, yes. Okay. All right. Tim. Hi, Tim. Tim says, it is a solid episode, but nothing makes me really excited about the episode. I would give this episode a five. My guess is Zach and Brent will... Like it a little more than me. Zach will give it a five and a half and Brent a six. Very close. I liked it even more. Sean says. Hi, Sean. Great teal slash Jaffa centered episode. I'm giving this one a seven. Yes. Story was simple, but kept me enthralled throughout. Zach of Iowa will give this a six. <laughs> and Brent of undisclosed location will give this a seven. <laughs> Have I been doing a good enough job? I mean, I got to tell you, it's been intentional. Don't want to tell you where I'm at, but uh, I thought that I'd given away enough clues that you kind of know generally where I'm at. But you know. Uh, you know, if you put the pieces together, you'd be able to figure out where Brent is located. Probably so. Yeah. Um, but what was Sean's guess of my thing? I'm sorry. He guesses a six from me. Yeah. And a seven from you. Wait a minute. He got it. He got it. Holy cow, Sean. Congratulations, Sean, you did it. Ah, <laughs> uh, well done, Sean. Yes. All right, now I got to check the other spot on Facebook just to make sure that nothing yep. is There's more than one spot, which is why Facebook's terrible. Yep. Okay. So, we're good on that. On the other spot, okay? Uh, now it is time to turn to emails. And so Brent, we have a yeah. whole bunch of emails floating around out there. Oh, boy. Okay. Um, and one of the things I noticed as I was sifting through them is that I need to apologize to 
bringing it up now. Daniel, because Daniel wrote in a, uh, uh, a prediction for Homecoming a few episodes ago, yeah. and it got lost in the uh, section of not primary on my Gmail account, and so I huh. didn't notice it at first, and I don't know for sure why, but anyway, That's apologies a- to Daniel. Friends, and- rebel against the algorithm for crying out loud. That thing is not helping. Ah, in any case. <laughs> Today is the day where Brent's fired up. We start with Ed. Hi, Ed. We haven't heard from Ed in a while, but welcome back, Ed. Welcome back. I'm excited to hear what Ed has to say. All right. Ed says, I don't really care much for this episode because I oh, have so boo. little patience for sullen Klingon honor episodes. They're <laughs> like eating a whole teaspoon of salt when it should be mixed with flour, water, and yeast. <laughs> Keep going. This is good. All right. Uh, just a second here. Um, I'm realizing I need to look at it in a different place. Where did it go? Lost it. There it is. Found it. Meanwhile, on walking through the Stargate, Zach loses an email. All right. But I honestly yes. appreciate O'Neill's conversation with Teal'c. Maybe it's not the few hours of rising that Teal'c's spirit needs, but O'Neill respects Teal'c's feelings and accepts them for what they are. Mm-hmm. When I had first seen this episode years ago, in order, I thought Daniel remembering things from being ascended was pretty neat, but now it seems to me fairly contrived, as okay, if it needed fair. to be in a warm place to proof more quickly. <laughs> I'm really liking this metaphor. All right. But once the team gets to the planet is when I think the episode starts to take more shape. We know all these characters have plot armor, but the emotional impact of Teal'c's capture hits close to home, Mm. especially with O'Neill having to give orders to face the reality that they have to leave him there and be punched down before the episode can really take shape. Mm -hmm. O'Neill's plan to make the distraction with anti-gravitational rings of dough is a stroke of genius, and Teal'c's humor with Braytac was just the brief rise we needed before the action. Watching the Jaffa get mortared was quite cathartic. Not only do they save the day, but everyone else too. From the mines in which they would be boiled for about 30 seconds on each side and baked at 425 for 20 to 25 minutes. (laughs) Cool on rack and serve with cream cheese or butter. That's the best kind! (laughs) Brilliant! For a successful bagel in the morning, there is one element required above all others. No, don't do it. Silence. Oh, for real? Silence. That's what he says. Yes. Oh, Ed. This is good. This is a good one. I'd give this episode a four, but I've never been quite good at predicting what you guys will give it. But I think (laughs) this episode's pretty meh. I disagree. Because just like a plain bagel with plain cream cheese, the joy is in the simplicity. Wow. There we go. We have it all together. Susie. Hey, Aunt Susie. Teal'c and Daniel wrestle with their separate issues. Daniel tries to come to terms with visions of what he was doing while ascended, his return to the team, and his uh, and what his contribution should be. 
Teal'c must come to terms with the loss of his symbiote, his dependence on Tritonin, and the fact that he feels he is a changed warrior. I love how these two stories intertwine and are resolved by a third rescue story, which leads to redemption for both, as well as a deepening of their friendship and shared understanding of purpose in life. Mm-hmm. I give it a seven. Yes. I think Brent will give it a six, and Zach perhaps a seven two. Oh, you got it, but just flip us. Flip him around, Zeus. Ah, uh, very close. Very, very, very close. Very, very close. All right. Uh, and then finally, we have David. Hi, David. David gives us the Kelnor Raymond coding bias buffer. With a lot of candles. With a lot of candles. I mean, good gracious, it would spend you more time to light those candles than it would to Kelnarim. He had a surplus. He hasn't done Kelnarim in quite a while, and the standing order was 15 candles every two weeks. And so he had 45 to burn. Well, there you go. So, Daniel Jackson has amazing psychic powers now? Great. Cool. I hope this becomes a major plot point through the rest of the season. Hey, you! As a way to get around No Way Out, or we could really use the psychic right now situations. Okay, so either he's leading me on, or he's purposefully spoiling things, which wouldn't be like him. You, I see you-ish, not really. You you know, honestly, you can read that, and you could decide that he's going both directions with that. He knows that I know that he knows I know he knows he knows I know. Shall I continue reading? Yes, please. Okay. As for the rest of this episode, it's really good. I liked it a lot. Braytech was exceptional, taking that beating for Ryak and never flinching. This is an all-around great episode that explores the nature of a lot of stuff and things. The only thing wrong with it is the title. What does this episode have to do with the Greek myth of Orpheus, son of Apollo, traveling through the underworld to retrieve his wife Eurydice from Hades, only to falter at the last moment and lose her forever? Nothing! Well, right. I think my best bet was the Daniel part, but even that's real weak. Um, well, that was interesting. I think it's misleading. Or maybe, I mean, I mean, in like the way that they meant it, like they, that they're going to tell a story where, where um, Orpheus doesn't look back. Right. So it's not a direct illusion. It's, it's like, let's tell a story about somebody going to the underworld and actually succeeding. Well, that could be, um, it is worth noting at this moment in time that uh, thanks to the joys of uh, Google and whatnot, it decided to I have to go find his email again using a different app. <laughs> did it like log you out like midway? Well, I was like reading it. And then I think what it did is, uh, um, there it is. Um, it it, uh, it uh, checked for new messages and then reloaded yeah. everything and proceeded to lose the message that I was reading at the time. So friends, I'll say it one more time. The algorithm is bad. Well, this is for Google. Yeah, it's part of the algorithm, dude. Yeah. All right. Anyway, after all of that, it's time for David's predictions. He's going to predict that you will give this a seven. Yes. For Braytech being a bad ass. I mean, yes. And I will give it a seven because we just talked to Braytech himself. That's true. We really did. That's true. We did talk to Braytech yesterday. Oh, Um, boy, that was fun. Yeah, it was fun. So, um, super duper close. Very, very close. That is uh, our predictions. So, awesome. Yes. The next episode of Stargate SG1 
is entitled Revisions. Mm-hmm. And when they're talking about revisions, what are they talking about? Mm-hmm. Next time on Stargate SG-1, the SG-1 travel through the gate to find... Did I screw that up? I think I screwed up. Let me start over again. Next time on Stargate SG-1, the SG-1 team travels through the gate to find themselves in a strange world. And while they are traveling through the gate, the universe itself casts a listening ear 18 years into the future. It listens carefully to the algorithm, and the algorithm sends back a message through time and says... Daniel's visions are going to be a plot point. And the universe says, Daniel's visions are going to be a plot point. The team steps through the gate and they find themselves on this strange new world. And immediately, Daniel Jackson is set upon by visions that he had when he was ascended. This planet is not what it seems to be. This planet has recently undergone a cataclysm. This planet is dangerous. This planet had green, glorious life all over it. This planet used to be good. Wait a minute. This planet is good. It's still green. It's, is this going to be something that happens in the future? Wait a minute. But this is definitely a memory of the past. We can't remember the future. This is a thing. This is like a thing that we know. But we can remember the past. And this past is definitely a memory. But it can't be true. It has to be something that has been done again. Is this a far off memory? Is this one that is? Wait a minute. No, this memory is now including a village. There's the village right there. My memory is the village burning down. But there's the. Wait a minute. I can't handle all of these revisions. No. How will the team deal with Daniel? collapsing under the weight of his own memories join us next i thought it was gonna be funnier join us next time on stargate sg1 revisions (laughs) now that's a pity laugh dude (laughs) all right all right full full confession for you brent yes i was trying to figure out why email was being emailed (laughs) and only half listening (laughs) <laughs> I'm sure that if I had listened more carefully, I would have you would laughed have harder. Thought it, you would have thought it some of the most funniest. Uh, is this going to have uh, to do with Daniel and his uh, and his visions? Sure. Okay, that was easy. Or or, or not? I mean, it's, it's, those are the two choices. I, I did give you a yes or no. Yeah, that's right. Shall we watch the promo? Yeah, let's see if uh, let's see if I'm right here. All right, I'm hitting play now. Next time on Stargate SG-1. An amazing discovery has been made in a desolate and toxic wasteland. We got these images two hours ago just after the meltdown. The dome seems to be the only structure that's managed to withstand the corrosive effects of the atmosphere. Oh. Oh. Wait a minute. This is exactly what I described. (laughs) Have a terrible secret. We've access the relevant information through the link. It's a direct neural interface with a databank. We have everything we need right here. Huh? Well, then we've got a problem. These levels are at least 2% lower than when we first came down. This thing's in your head. You gotta lose them. No, no. Yes. They're messing with your mind some. What is the deadly secret of the link? Ooh. It's all next time on Stargate SG-1. Don't make me shoot you. Okay. Oh. All right. 
I tell you what, though, I was kind of dangerously close there for a minute. There you go. Strange New World destroyed. Actually, no, it's green. Yeah. 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 hundred percent. Yep. yep. So then, then, then it just went off the rails. Yeah. Well, that's okay. <laughs> well, we'll find out what happens next week as we review revisions. Um, so look for that and then look for the Tony Amendola uh, interview. That'll be there as well. That's right. Um, thank you, David, for the promo. Yes, thank you, David. Uh, this is a lengthy, uh, lengthier than normal lengthy. Uh, we got to podcast. talk. In. We did. <laughs> That's always a dangerous. How it happens. That's right. Uh, anyway, tell us what you think uh, if you haven't already, or even if you had, tell us again. Email us yes, at walkingthroughstargate at gmail Follow us on Twitter. Go to Walking Through Stargate Facebook page and group. Of course, the Discord's, the Facebooks, the Patreons, all of that stuff. Whatever it is. So. Until then, I say I'm Zach. And I'm Brent. And this has been Walking Through the Stargate. See you next time. Bye. Carter, dial it up. Get these people home. This voice troubles Daniel. There is something to this, something important. Carter helps him work through the various anomalies from any incoming and then outgoing wormholes. This weird folk feel, this weird feeling is focused in that way for the formal uh, <laughs> <laughs> I can't help you now, buddy. You're on your uh, own. No. <laughs> All right, let me try that paragraph again. Take 79. <laughs> Whew.